Hello, friends. It's a tradition unlike any other. He is risen. Hey, the events that we remember this weekend, his predicted death and his promised resurrection, are the most important things that have ever happened in the history of the world. The most important thing about this weekend is that Jesus is alive. And we're glad you're here to worship with us. I'm John, one of the pastors here. Maybe you were here with us yesterday. We had an outstanding egg hunt where we welcome hundreds of people here to the Boulder campus to hear the story of Jesus, to hear why he died and that he rose. And Calvary is one church in multiple communities, Boulder, Erie, and Thornton, and across our three campuses yesterday, we welcomed more than 1,200 people to hear that story. Yeah. That's what we love doing. We love telling people about Jesus. And we love being reminded about who he is and what he has accomplished for us. We're continuing our series this morning in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke is the third biography of Jesus in the New Testament, which is in the second half of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And we will be in chapter 24, right towards the end of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 24 And beginning in verse 1, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But their words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Lord Jesus, we are here this morning because of you, and we pray a blessing on our time together as we open your word. May you speak to us through it. In your risen name we pray, amen. Amen. So I heard a little illustration that someone shared when they saw the linen cloth, it was folded up in the tomb. And uh, the question was asked, why was the linen carefully folded there inside the tomb? And someone's analogy was as if you were a dining at table and you left the table, you would take your linen and if you were done, you would 
bunch it up and leave it there. But if you were returning, you'd fold it up carefully and put it there. And then you'd go and know you're coming back. So think about that. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's, it's good Easter folklore that the folded linen in there is a sign that uh, it's not over yet even. I'm coming back. But Jesus is out of the tomb. And his resurrection is the verdict that does change everything. And I realize that um, not everybody has Easter in the center of their mind and heart, but for 30 minutes, I'd like to draw you in to let the resurrection of Jesus Christ be the central thing in our minds and its implications for today and into the future. This episode from Luke chapter 24 goes on that the tomb is empty, but they haven't seen Jesus yet. And they might have um, heard the angel who said, remember, remember his words? Remember what he said to you? What did he say to him? Son of man is going to go into Jerusalem. He's going to be mistreated. He's going to be crucified. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. And what did, what did Peter say to Jesus when Jesus said that? No way, that's not going to happen to you. Lord, I don't know how to interpret that. <laughs> Should I just linger here? Let's close in prayer. <laughs> I'm going to try again. Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Jesus said, on, uh, God has revealed that to you. And on that rock of confession, I will build my church. Now, Peter, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man is going to be mistreated and be crucified and buried, but on the third day rise again. And Peter said, no way, Lord. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The cross is my mission. I must go to the cross, and I must die, and I will die there, and I will be buried, and I will rise again on the third day. That is going to happen, and it did. But it just couldn't get into the minds of the disciples and the followers of Jesus that this would actually happen because they thought of him as the Messiah, and they couldn't get in their mind a Messiah who would die and suffer and even less could they get in their mind that the Messiah who would die would be resurrected. They had no place in their theology for the death of a Messiah or the resurrection of a Messiah. So we have some sensitivity to them while on Sunday after the crucifixion Friday, he promised he would show up, but he hasn't shown up. But they have found the tomb empty. Let's carry on in our reading at verse 13. That very day, Sunday afternoon, the women have just gone to the tomb, and they found it empty. The angel said, remember his words. That very day, two of them, that's two of all the rest from verse 9, two of the group, 
not of the apostles or disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, I think this is just delightful, a delightful picture of Jesus sneaking up behind them, and they cannot, for some reason, they don't recognize him as Jesus, but they were with him. These are the ones of the rest in the earlier opening of this chapter who had been with all of them, but God in the resurrection body of Jesus does not allow them to recognize that it is Jesus. So he slides in alongside them on the road to Emmaus, a seven-mile journey, and he begins to talk with them. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stopped, just stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? They think Jesus doesn't know, but he does. And he tells them eventually that they should know, but they don't. Verse 19, and he says to them, love this. What things? What things are you talking about? And of course, all the what things would have been everything. It was all that anyone was talking about. All of Jerusalem had been concerned, consumed about the crucifixions that had happened in there, and that there had been a man named Jesus of Nazareth who had been crucified. These are the things that everybody was talking about. And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty Indeed, and word before God and before all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. That's the things that we're talking about. And they speak of Jesus, these two people who were walking on the road, it may have been a husband and wife, we don't know, it might have been two men, uh, but one of them's called Cleopas, and he, they, they say, we're talking about Jesus. And the one thing we know about Jesus is that he was a prophet of God, and he was that, but he wasn't only that. He was, he was more than a, a voice of God. He was God himself. He was mighty in deed and word, and you can trace all through the Gospels of the teachings of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus and where he performed those. He ministered to the multitude. He ministered to the blind. He ministered to a woman who had an issue of blood. He raised a child. He was near to the brokenhearted. He, he did these miraculous signs. He was mighty indeed. And his teaching, we've never seen a man with authority like Jesus. And if you trace his sermons, his lessons, his parables, you'll see there is teaching that is unlike any other teaching from this man. He was mighty indeed. And the worst news is that the chief priests and the rulers of the nations put him to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped, verse 21, we had hoped. It was, our, it was our deepest hope that he was going to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's now been the third day since these things happened. We actually expected, we set our hopes on him. Have you ever put your hope 
in God and been disappointed. I mean, really. Have you ever put your hope in God and been disappointed? There's something about our perspective and God's perspective. We had hoped that Jesus would be the Messiah who would redeem Israel. The only concept they had of a Messiah was a conquering, ruling, uh, triumphant Messiah who would overthrow Rome and be the liberator and redeemer of Israel. We had hoped that he would do that, but it's over. He died. He's in the tomb. Not on the screen. We'll just leave this up there. But in verse 22, then, moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they didn't find his body, and they came back saying, they even saw a vision of angels who said, he's alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they didn't see. They didn't find him, but they found an empty tomb. And Jesus says in verse 25, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? In other words, this unmasked Jesus, he's not known to them yet, but he says, wasn't it necessary that the Christ had to suffer these things and then enter into glory? Shouldn't you know that it was already spoken of that the Messiah who would come would suffer and then enter into glory? Wasn't that necessary? And they scratched their head and said, I don't know. But Jesus calls them slow, dull ones. And I just want you not to be dull today. I I want you to be sharp in your mind and think, this is Jesus, unknown to the listeners, saying, you should have known that the crucifixion of Jesus was necessary. before he entered into glory. Next verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I would circle that in your Bible. If you're you're reading along, circle that. What Jesus is saying is that all the Bible points to him. He's walking with them, and he begins to show them that for Moses, Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible, And then all the prophets and the Psalms, these are all testifying that Jesus is who he says he is, and all of the Bible points to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. You're slow to believe all that was spoken. Now, I think at this point we should just take a moment and just think, okay, if Jesus, how how great would it have been? If there was one place in history I wish I could be, it would be right here. It's seven miles. How long does it take to walk seven miles? Yeah, you, you, you answer you. Maybe it'd be three hours. If I, I would be leisurely. It'd be three-hour walk, probably. And they had three hours with Jesus. 
explaining from all the books of Moses and the prophets, everything about himself that pointed to him coming into the world and what had just happened in Jerusalem. And I wish of all the places I could be, I could be there to hear Jesus say that. What an Old Testament survey class this would have been. Huh? Here's what I think would have been part of the curriculum. What if Jesus said to these two on the road, Hey, do you remember Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree, the day you eat of that you shall surely die, and sure enough they did, they ate of that, and God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Adam says, I was afraid. I'm naked, so I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? Anyway. He knew he was naked because he was condemned. He had guilt. He had shame because he transgressed God. He sinned. And the day you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. And death came. When Adam and Eve. So what did God do? If Jesus were telling these two on the road, what was God's remedy? So God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. What does that mean? An animal died to cover their sin. Because the wages of sin is death. And God substituted killing them to kill an animal to clothe them in their guilt. And he put them out of the garden. I think Jesus might have said that. And then maybe we get to Abraham and Abraham is taking Isaac out on Mount Moriah. And maybe Jesus would have said, do you remember when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac? And there he was, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and there offer him as a burnt offering. What? And on the way there, Isaac said to his father, my father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. And did God? God did provide the lamb. And God said, Abraham, do not slay your son. Look, in the thicket there is a lamb, and a substitute lamb is brought in. And the lamb there is in the place of Isaac. Amazing. Or maybe it's Moses. And Jesus is telling them, don't forget Moses. Moses is going to lead his people out of Egypt. And the last plague is going to come to Egypt. It's going to be that the firstborn is going to be killed. And so he says to the people of Israel, this night I want you to take a lamb and I want you to kill the lamb and draw the blood and put the blood on the doorpost. And when I see the blood on the doorpost, I will pass over. And when I pass over that house, because of the blood of the lamb, you will not die. And Jesus said, I'm the Passover lamb. I think he would have described that for them there. And maybe you remember that when 
Moses was leading the people out of Egypt. They were walking around the wilderness and they were complaining, said, oh, I wish I could just go back to Egypt. And they were griping like crazy at Moses. You remember that? And God was upset and he sent them little snakes and they, they bit them and people died because God doesn't like grumblers. Maybe that's the only lesson you need to hear today. <clears throat> well, that happened. And um, God said, Moses, Moses, I want you to make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole. And everyone who's bitten, if they look to that pole, they will live. And so he did that. He made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look to the bronze serpent and he would live. So that in the New Testament, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when he is lifted up on the cross, he will draw all men to himself. You get the story where an Old Testament survey and Jesus is walking with these two and he's just telling them, remember, that points to me. That points to me. And there's so much more we could do. All the sacrifices that ever happened, uh, all the sacrifices pointed to blood because the soul that sins, it will die, but the life of the body is in the blood. And so the whole sacrificial system was in there. And then you could go to the Psalms or the prophecies. Psalm 22 begins, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? They would have heard that Friday night. Isaiah 53, you hear these statements over and again. I'm sure Jesus said to these two on the road to Emmaus, do you remember what the psalmist said? That he was despised and rejected of men. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It was the Lord's will to crush him. We could go on and on, right? But do you want me to? Is that yes or no? I don't know. No, I'm going to stop, but you get the feel. I wish we could have been there, but he took us all the way. He took these two all the way through and, and had three hours to tell them, these, wasn't it necessary? And the answer was, yes. Why was it necessary that Jesus had to die? It's because we're sinners. We're estranged from God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all turned away from him. We need a Savior. And we need a Savior who's not just a little bit better than us. We need a Savior who is perfect, unblemished, Lamb of God. And there's only one who qualifies. It's Jesus. Right? And so he went there. And I love that he told these two on the road, that this is the final substitution. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, we go back to our text, verse 28. So they draw near to the village as they were going, and he acted as if he were going to go further, but they urged him strongly, hey, will you stay with us for the evening? And I, I just would say to you, Jesus was going to keep walking and probably go on to wherever he was going, and, and they said, we want you to stay, and he did. I don't want to over-spiritualize this. But you need to ask Jesus to stay with you. You need to ask Jesus into your life. Jesus did everything he did, and here we are. And you can ignore him. 
you can hold them at arm's length, or you can do what these two did. Hey, I want you. I want you to come. And they just pulled him aside, and they said, you stay with us. And so he stayed with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And he said to them, wow, did not our hearts burn within us on the road when he talked to us? While he opened the scriptures. It was the Bible. It was all of the truth of God that was opened up to them that helped them understand who this was. And, man, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn together? And they rose that hour and returned to Jerusalem. So they walked seven miles, and they said, it's getting dark. We better pull over. They pull over. Jesus has dinner with them. He shows himself to them, and they say, whoa, we got to go seven miles back to Jerusalem. They turn around and go all the way back to Jerusalem so that they can tell everyone, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told him what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I love that that is the way that occurs here. And if you just wait one second and turn my microphone off for a second. Thank you. I have had a cold for too long, so don't shake my hand afterwards. All right. All right. So they come and they tell them, verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood in their midst and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. So now they're back with the disciples in Jerusalem, and Jesus shows up, and he says, why are you troubled? Verse 36. Eight. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And they were still a disbelief for joy. They were marveling. And he said, do you have anything to eat? I love that. My favorite verse in the Bible. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Okay, he's now showed everyone who he is. And then verse 44, he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you when I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And now he opened their minds to understand everybody, the what? The scriptures. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? If you were trying to convince someone as Jesus, that you were alive. If it were me, the, the most convincing thing I could do would be to thrust my hands into their hands and say, look, it's me. And Jesus does not do that in the very first appearance recorded by Luke. Instead, what Jesus does is not show his physical appearance to convince these two individuals that he is who he says he is. Instead, what he does is he appeals to the same lines of evidence that prove he is the Christ as are available to you and to me. The Scriptures, 
So that if you were living in 2023 in Boulder, Colorado, you said, well, I just wish Jesus would come along the road to me and say to me, I really am alive. Then I would believe him. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Jesus didn't come and tell these two anything other than this was God's work. It was his plan. It was promised. You should have seen it. It was there, and it is there, and it happened. God said it. He did it. You understand you have the same lines of evidence that Jesus is alive from the dead as they did. Will you believe it? And if you don't know it, then above all things, maybe it is to drive us to the Bible, to drive us to the things that God has said so that we would say, these are the words that I want to be sure that I know. Unbelief in the Bible is one of the deepest forms of spiritual blindness. And they were blinded because they didn't understand everything that was written in there. Jesus often said, haven't you read? Do you not know what the scriptures say? You are wrong because you neither know the scriptures or the power of God. Search the scriptures that you may know these things are true. You search the scriptures, but you do not know that in them I give life. These are some of the words that Jesus said. I just want to remind you that the resurrection reality is that the truth of the Bible is there. He's alive, right? Secondly, I would mention to you this. Jesus didn't remove all the trial and tribulation, but he gave them an eternal hope that far transcends any earthly turmoil. These, all of the disciples went through a very difficult time through the whole experience of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And he didn't make it easy on them, and it wasn't easy on him, right? And he doesn't remove difficulty, but he still gives eternal hope because it is finished on the cross. It's finished. It's paid in full. It's over. And that doesn't mean that we won't go through difficult times here, even as all of these did. But hope begins with the promise of eternal forgiveness. Now, let's just look at some of these last words uh, here in our text, and particularly in verse 46. In verse 46, we read, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. The reason that Jesus died and the reason that he rose again was to convince us that the verdict against sin is settled and that the only human response to that is to repent and turn to Jesus and to be saved. And that's the announcement that needs to begin in Jerusalem and end up in Boulder. It's the message for Boulder. The hope of the world is that Jesus died and rose again. He's alive. He's coming back. And you have to give an account to him. And the only answer for, for knowing him is repent of your sins and call him Savior and Lord. That was true in Jerusalem. It was true in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world on Table Mesa and the university and right here in our hearts. 
This is true. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Turn to Jesus and you will be forgiven. Now, the last thing I would say is, verse 49 says, I'm, I'm sending you the promise of my Father. And for every Christian in the room who, who loves Jesus, can you just look at this? The reality of the resurrection is that Jesus did not leave his disciples without a purpose, but he gave them a mission. And it's the mission for everyone in the room today who knows and loves Jesus that I am sending you out as my witnesses. This is really true. Christ is alive. You believe that? All right, people in the city, people in the state, people in the world don't. You're witnesses that this really did happen, and it changes everything. And because it happened, preaching of repentance for the forgiveness of sins is what every person who loves Jesus says, oh, that's my mission. That's why God leaves me here. I mean, really, what if... if, if if I believe in Jesus, why wouldn't God just take me home to be with him? Because this life is so hard. Why does God leave us here? Yeah, I want you to stay. I'm going to give you power from on high. That's the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. I want you to pre preach this. Jesus Christ is alive. Do you believe it? Okay. Well, it was a good place for a golf clap because it's Master's Weekend. So, yeah, he's alive, right? He's alive. <clears throat> and if you have not yielded your life to Jesus, I, I just want you to think about, he, he convinced that God promised this in his word and God carried it out. And he'll carry it out in your life. He will forgive your sins. He will give you eternal life. He will welcome you into his kingdom. And every one of us who know him now, we, we have a mission. I am sending you out with the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses that the world needs to know this or else. And the napkins folded, which means coming back. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive, the living Christ. You are seated at the right hand of God on high. You have accomplished redemption. You have atoned for sins. You bore our burdens. You carried our transgressions away. And now, Lord, here we are today thinking about all that you have accomplished and I pray that you will awaken our hearts that we can see you as, you as you made yourself known through the breaking of bread. So we've opened the Bible. Make yourself known, maybe to some here today who have never realized that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for us, and that we must respond. May our hearts respond by saying, Jesus Christ, if you died for my sins, I receive you. Did you just say that to him right now? And Lord, if you have done this great thing of accomplishing my salvation, I, I rest in you and I, I want to follow you in my life. 
And I just pray, Lord, that you'll do your work in our hearts. We, we give glory to God that this is our day, a day of resurrection and life. Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.